This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast, where we are looking to connect you with other like-minded individuals in the fishing community, um, whether it be an angler, a uh, fishmonger, a painter, an artist, a bait maker, lure maker, charter captains, party boat captains, restaurants. All those guys are our kind of people that we're looking to talk to, guys and ladies, of course. Um, as always, you can find us on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast. You can also find us at Tide underscore Chasers on Instagram. Without further ado, I am going to connect you over to my my co-host Qua, how you doing buddy pretty good man pretty good you know nice to have you back yeah winter's coming uh you know it's about my hibernation time i don't do well with cold cold weather fishing so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave that to you guys yeah the cold weather fishing is just starting man this is the good stuff i mean i don't know how cold weather it is it's been in the 50s all week yeah true i mean tuna still around bass still around so i mean 50 degree water it's still manageable my part yeah, and, and this is my time to, to get out there and beat the riverbanks. But without further ado, again, I'd like to introduce you our guest, excellent angler, who really, uh, I think he kind of took off this year. I followed him for a little bit, um, and then, like, he exploded onto the scene, is making YouTube videos, and is very conservation-friendly, like, like, like we, we like to find on the, the, the channel here. Um, he's done some great things with the uh, YouTube channel, and then, of course, um, Without, I just, I'm just going to introduce him. Joe, how you doing? This is Joe Latori from uh, 609 Fishing on Instagram. How you doing, Joe? I'm great, guys. Thank you for having me out tonight. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure chatting with you. I've been following you all year. Seems like um, I, I think I started following you at the beginning of the year, and like I went back to your post before that. I didn't realize you had fished for some things that I, I didn't seen that you you post this year, like snakeheads, things like that. So. It's kind of cool that you know just have another multi-species angler on the channel like 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 the rest of us and uh it's very it's very nice to connect with you today 
Yeah, same here, man. I, I'll tell you, if I follow you guys. I watch all your, you know, posts on Instagram, listen to all the podcasts. You guys do a phenomenal job, you know, covering multi-species. And you don't really see that nowadays because a lot of guys are super narrow-minded. They're like striper fishermen, you know, snakehead people. Like they're in their own lane. But you guys cover it all, which I love, man. Yeah, we I've talked about that to a lot of guys. And I, I just don't know how... I don't know how I could ever manage being just a single species, like a bass fisherman or just a snakehead fisherman or just a panfish fisherman. Like I, I get too, like, I get too sidetracked. I always want to chase the next big thing. And that, that, that's how it's always been. You know, I I've gotten to the point where I limit myself to try for five new species a year, just because I, I, if I do more than that, it just gets nuts with everything else I do now. We, uh, we, we talk about a, a lot of the different ways how anglers get started in the world of fishing. Give us a little bit of a insight on how you got started and, you know, some of your background. So I'm 31 years old. I'd say I've been fishing probably 29 years of my life. Um, I'm very lucky. I, my family, you know, I come from like a line of fishermen. Like, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> I was just talking to my grandfather, who's 94, uh, yesterday, and He'll share like, you know, random stories from when he was a kid. And it's funny. He's like telling me how his father, my great grandfather used to, you know, row like a, almost like a lifeguard boat, like close to, you know, seven miles off the beach when he was younger and catch croakers until he filled the boat up, come back and sell them for like 15 cents a pound. And I'm like laughing, like he would tell me like these all day fishing excursions, like for croakers and you know, uh, he fished, my father got me into fishing. Um, I'm very lucky. I have a, I'm very close with my uncle, uh, and my cousin, Mike, both like avid fishermen, you know, been fishing their whole lives and they've kind of, you know, got me started and showed me the ways. Now you mentioned this fish. I, I don't think I've heard of it before. A croaker. They're not really around, are they? Uh, you know, it's funny. Atlantic croakers, they, they come in spurts. Like, yeah. I would say uh, it's funny year to year, you know, depending on where you are down where I'm at, they show up September, October in like decent numbers. But I mean, just South of us, like Delaware, Virginia, North Carolina, you really start to see them in like huge, huge numbers. Yeah. I was being a little facetious because it seems like the bigger fish have kind of disappeared in that world. I, I remember like, God, fishing my father-in-law from the beach back in like 2012-ish, and we were catching a bunch of them from the beach, and I just don't remember having that experience since then. And then this past spring, I was down, uh, uh, it was probably, yeah, a little bit late spring, early summer, I was down in Virginia Beach, which is one of my, my second home. I, I go down there a lot, and I could not keep the croakers off my gulp fishing for flounder. Like, literally, like, you can't even get your gulp to the bottom. You're going through a myriad of, of schools of, of, of croaker, and it's just just like why don't these fish make their run up north to us anymore and you know there's all this stuff about netting and everything else that you hear about the croakers down there and they have to run the gambit like the weak fish and stuff to get to us so it's just one of those fish that we kind of miss because they're they're a fun pan fish to 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 target on the uh, the ocean side of things now you uh you said you've been fishing since you're about two that's about when i started my son he was two years old when we first got he caught his first snake when he was two years old but yeah i mean like what was it like you know, your progression through the sport, like as a younger angler and then moving on. I saw a lot of your throwback pictures and it's just amazing. I, I wish I had all those pictures from my mom when I was a kid. because She was the one that would take us fishing. And you have some amazing throwback pictures, man, with great fish as a kid. I, 
I appreciate that. Uh, dude, uh, so, I mean, starting out young, I think everybody's the same. If it, that freshwater pond to get them going. Um, that's where I first learned, you know, casting, retrieving, catching like bluegills, bass. Uh, I grew up, you know, half in Atlantic City, half in Smithville, which is just outside Atlantic City. So I kind of had, you know, the best of both worlds. Like I grew up two blocks from the T-Jetty. So, you know, a lot of my childhood memories of fishing are like walking up to the boardwalk and fishing off like, you know, the boardwalk adjacent to the T-Jetty or fishing the rocks off the T-Jetty for tog, stripers, kingfish, weak fish. You get the herring run. Um, I'll be honest with you, what I think really got me into fishing was the spring spawning runs. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest things I'm, I'm really going to regret uh, that my, my children won't be able to do is the spring herring run that we used to have in New Jersey, um, the like river blueback herring. Mm. Every April, you know, as a family, we would go up, you know, random rivers in South Jersey and just catch our, you know, 35 herring limit and like take them home package them for flounder season and that used to be like you know as a kid man they're not you know herring's not like a giant sport fish or you know a sought after species but it was cool like that you know you had a time of year that you stocked up on bait to get you through like flounder and striper season and i just remember as a kid like you know some of the rivers that we used to go to you would literally wade in and you could feel them running into your legs. Like they were used to be so thick that you literally netted them, you know? And unfortunately, you know, that fishery has been shut down since I think 2006. So that's a tough one. Cause obviously we all know that's an amazing bait fish. And, and, and you remember that because it's a family member, you memory, you guys used to do that as a, as a family. So that's why that still sticks in your head. I, I have some of those memories with my mom. My, my dad worked overnight. So my mom would take me and my little brother down to the pond, Lum's pond. And we just, ne- we, we, I used to explore around that pond all the time, catch bluegills and bass. And then, then you would see, uh, the, another section of anglers where they were targeting these big, uh, these big, massive snapping turtles. They were targeting to harvest them. And I oh, just, yeah. I was probably six, seven years old. And I'll never forget that image in my head. And like one of those big snapping turtles right next to me coming up on this guy's bait. And I'm like, I, it looked like a dinosaur. It was so big to me. So that's something that still sticks out of my head from when I was a kid as well. I'm hoping that my son gets some of these memories. You know, he's, he, he's, I talk to him all the time. He's like, dad, when we go on winter flounder fishing or when we doing this, when we doing that. And he's, he's seven. Like I, it, it's the best. It, there's nothing like it. I, I agree, man. I, my daughter's about two and a half now. And, you know, I might sound crazy. The first time I took her out fishing, she was five months old and no lie, I got one of those uh, stand-up, I think Skip and Hop makes them. It's like a, like a table that's got toys they stand in. Yeah. And it was a random – I remember the day. It was January 17th, and it was like one of those freak, freakish warm days in January that we get. Like we get that one, you know, 55-plus degree weather day. Sun was out, <clears throat> took her to the river, and literally – took her perch fishing you know my my favorite you know pastime and you know i learned from my uncle he said bring a ton of toys so she's never bored and when a fish is biting just hand her the rod that way it's always you know there's always excitement with fishing and you know ever since that you know five months span 
I've been taking her striper fishing with me. You know, I'm hoping to get her out. I took her flounder fishing last summer. I'm hoping to get her her first uh, tog and sheep's head next year. There you go, man. That's, you can't beat it. I tried to get my son on his first tog for his birthday trip, but he fell asleep on the boat. So I had to catch him myself. <laughs> yeah, we, had, we had two sheep's head come to play and he was asleep for both of them. It was, it was so sad in my, in my eyes. I wanted to, I wanted to see him because they were nice fish. They're probably, I don't know, quite, what were they like seven, eight pounds or something? Seven, eight. Yeah, yeah, seven, eight. So my son holding one of those fish that he would have caught, that would have been a blast. But yeah, maybe next time we'll, we'll get one. But yeah, the, the memories with your children, you know, I, I can't say enough how important it is to me just because I look at my son and I'm like, man, this kid one day is going to be a better angler than I am. And it's just because I'm instilling all this stuff into him now that I never had. I learned all of it on my own. My mom, my mom took us, but that was where it kind of stopped. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of learning beyond that. We had to figure a lot of it out ourselves. So that was where that was at for me. And then my kids, my, my oldest daughter's really out of it, but my middle daughter really likes it still too. And I think it's just because she wants to spend that time with me, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll be out there winter flounder fishing with me, snakehead fishing. It's, it's a blast. So you got to You got to keep that going for as long as you can. Cause at some oh, yeah. point they're like, dad, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's what my oldest is doing right now. Yeah. You just got to postpone that as long as you can. Yes. So now you had a pretty incredible year. Uh, 2021 seemed to be your coming out party. I would say um, you, you, uh, you kind of blew up with the, the YouTube channel and everything else. And I noticed you because of the sheep's head thing. You know, we, we, we were very like-minded there. All three of us love sheep's head here. And then that that's where we kind of started connecting was all the sheep's head posts. And um, outside of that, you caught a lot of other cool fish this year. Kind of give us a little bit of ideas of, of, of how your 2021 went a recap, you know, some of your, your, personal stories, you know, PB fish that you might've caught this year, things like that. So this year, uh, you know, you, the YouTube channel did take off a lot more, uh, than it did the previous few years. Um, I, I kind of get shocked every time I look, cause like, to be honest with you, like I watch my videos and I know, like, like, I'll give you an example, like my go-to guy to watch, like I could watch every single video he makes and never be bored is Elias V. Yep. And, I'm sure you guys are the same way. Like he's, you know, no nonsense, no clickbait. It's always, mm -hmm. you know, exactly giving you knowledge and showing you how he's doing it. It's not like a 20 minute monologue of, <laughs> you know, he trying will. to sell you like the bait yeah. and, or, well, he's, or not rigs out there, or he's not out there catching stripers on Twizzlers and all that. Yes. Stuff. Oh God. That I, I totally, totally agree with you. And I, I always say this, I'm like, if I started a YouTube channel, I doubt that it would do well because I'm just going to be like informational and it's, it's more educational as opposed to these stupid challenges all these kids are doing, getting all these clicks now. But I think it's kind of coming back to where the, the guys that are doing the, the informational videos like yourself are the ones that are really getting out there because there's a lot of new people to the, coming to the sport that are looking for ways to learn and YouTube's going to be that first place that they stop. Yeah, and I mean, I think from a... Mo like monetization standpoint that the reason everybody goes for those clickbait videos is you know more clicks more impressions you're going to get more ad revenue but in the long run i think that's not the way to do it I, I mean if you're like us serious fishermen you get mad when you waste time watching a youtube video that you had high hopes like like the one thing that will always kill me is the you'll never believe what i caught and at the end, I always believe what they caught. It's never like, man, there, there wasn't a, I didn't think there was going to be a giant catfish at the spillway. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and like, I've learned like 
I'm not going to make, you know, millions of dollars. I'm not going to make thousands of dollars off this YouTube channel. I enjoy doing it just like you guys do this podcast. Like you're not going to make millions off of it. And I'd rather put out something that I know is quality over, you know, something that might get a million views. And one of the things you did bring up was the sheep's head. And that's a dilemma that I've been fighting for a long time. Like I think in 2021, I put up, two videos about sheep's head fishing and one was in Oregon Inlet, North Carolina. One was up here. Now, Grant, I, I went sheep's head fishing, I'd say 25 times this year. And I filmed every single one, but not every one I put up on YouTube because I do realize how critical the fishery is in this area. And with the number of people that have been getting into it, I don't know if it can sustain with you know, no regulations. I mean, I reached out to both of you guys back in, I think it was July when I, you know, witnessed spear fishermen shooting mm-hmm. dozens of, of sheep's head and just literally shooting them, taking a picture and then throwing them back in the water. And that's where I kind of like pump the brakes with YouTube is, you know, not everything that I, I, not every trip that I fish, uh, unfortunately goes up on YouTube. Cause I do think about, you know, if I do put this out there, how many people will learn this and, you know, abuse it. And that's, that's one of the, you know, dilemmas of YouTube of you want to help people and I want to help teach as much, you know, knowledge that I could provide from, you know, my fishing videos, but I also to the point where I don't want to give all the secrets, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we kind of got that, that mid year, we, we had like a, a come into Jesus moment where we sat back and said, you know, we're probably not doing this fishery any, 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 uh, anything good by, by as much as we talk about it. I mean, I, 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 I posted just recently the two sheeps that I caught this year, but I, I changed the background. So it's just one of those things where, you know, it's a fishery we care a lot about. We know you care a lot about it and we want, we're, we're fighting for some protections there. So all the voices we can get in that battle, you're one, you live on the coast. So by all means, anybody we can get to, to talk about that is, is a big thing because, it's right now it's it's a whisper it's in their heads now and it's just a matter of it becoming a yell and a groundswell of support for these fish being protected before it's too late you know you're seeing our big fish are disappearing you know there's still big fish around Mm -hmm. there's still big fish in certain places but you know we're not going to really highlight that stuff anymore just because we care about the fishery too much more so than what whatever we could gain from talking about it here yeah usually i'm out hammering sheep's head all, all summer long you know starting may just when i start and then like i'll hammer it i'll usually go all in all the way to like october but literally this year i literally stopped in like june like after this whole thing like i, I as soon as i gotta start checking social media and it's like every other weekend it's like oh this guy's has a 10 pounder hanging on a hook this guy has a like a string of like four of them sitting there i was just like I was like, are we aiding in this? Like everything we're doing, these sheep's head episodes, like stuff like that. Are we aiding in helping these people how to figure out how to catch this fishery? And they're catching on and now they're just decimating the the, the fishery. And I'm just like, you know, I'm going to stop. Like, I, so I literally stopped the break on sheep's head fishing. I didn't do any sheep's head fishing after June. And I stopped posting any any photos of sheep's head. Like literally, I have so many photos of sheep's head in my, in my phone but I just won't post any of it. It's just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna back off and then see what happens. And then, I mean, 
it continued for a while and then like for some reason in august it started to dwindle like it started to dwindle away all the sheep's head pose everything and as you know joe knows he's fishing for sheep's head and dan you know too like our sheep's head fishing goes all the way up until like november december it can if the water stays right you know what i mean so but but just no one's targeting them now because it's like it's gotten quiet i think it got to a point like everyone was so hyped up about it because you know joe posts nice sheep's head photos i do schaefer does you know all of us are posting nice photos of sheep and everybody's like oh i want that on my instagram you know i want that clout number you know what i mean and after they get it they're like okay well i'm done with that i'm moving on to something else yeah, it kind of became the latest and greatest thing. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm assuming like, you know, with things like cobia moving in and mm-hmm. redfish moving in, we'll see that, you know, some of those people trickle towards those kind of fish. To in, But but without a doubt, sheep's head fishing in, in the South Jersey area and, and actually even going all the way in North Jersey. I, I saw a lot more yeah. up north this year than I ever have in the past. And it's just it while, you know, we talk to a lot of guys. Right. So. We talk to spear fishermen. We talk to guys that are out on the ends of these jetties and they're saying they see thousands of fish, but we'll be out and not find these fish. So are they moving around? Is there a healthy fishery? There probably is. We just don't know. We don't know the facts and all the the numbers surrounding that. So that's why we've kind of put our our foot on the brakes a little bit and kind of changed the way we're doing things with that fishery. And it may may be other fisheries that we talk about in the future that that go this route, but we care about it too much to kind of help exploit it, I guess, is the biggest way. And I think you guys both really hit the big point, which which has kind of become a sad thing that, you know, a picture is what a lot of people like uh, not to switch the subject. But I remember in the middle of the summer when there was a guy who shot a tarpon off yeah. of a jetty and his exact quote was, well, if I didn't shoot it, they wouldn't believe me. And I'm right. thinking, like, do you know how much a goat you could get a cheap Amazon GoPro like a knockoff name brand underwear camera and film it like you don't have to shoot and i'm thinking like a tarpon's not even a sought after species for meat like they're so bony no it's not like you're like oh okay i'm gonna take it home and harvest it they did they 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 traveled with that thing in the back of their truck bed for god knows how long going to tackle shop to tackle shop so whether uh they tried the 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 dude claimed that he was going to eat it i am not buying that you know it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a, a, a table fair wise fish that I'm going to be put on my table. I'll put it that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of get to what you're saying with the video, but then there's that other aspect, whereas, you know, the, then there's videos showing all these fish down there that may not have been known they were there. And then other guys are going for that, that same type of deal that he did. So it's a double-edged sword, you know, it's one of those things where you want the credit for discovering they're there, but maybe they've been there a while and now they're, now they're under attack by, by us, us recreational fishermen, we just don't know how to get out of our own ways and screw everything else up for everybody. And and I'll be honest, um, I think I go the polar opposite sometimes with sheep's head. Like, I personally don't think I have any good photos of me holding a sheep's head because I'm always like panicking. Like, he's been out of the water for you know 30 seconds. I'm like, let me hold it up real quick. Hopefully, the GoPro got a good film, and then I'm back in the water and. Half the time it's like blurry or the yeah. salt water's on the screen. I'm like, oh man. I'm like, I didn't even the, the biggest one I caught this year. I literally put it on like the like measuring board, and I didn't even really get like a great measurement because like I'm like checking real quick and I'm like, all right, let me get him back into the water because you know. And then that's the other thing you have people that 
will get on you. Well, oh, like you shouldn't have released that fish. Like that fish isn't going to live. And I'm like thinking like, because it was out of the water for 30 seconds. It's not like I'm here putting it through an Instagram shoot and like yeah. pulling out a scale and laying it on my kayak, you know? I think sheep's head are pretty hardy fish. They are so hardy. They, they are they very hardy. And it, um, but <clears throat> excuse me, I'm that guy that that pedals my kayak with the the fish in the net over to the to shore to try and get a decent picture, and I still screw it up. So yeah, it's it's difficult, you know, when you're out there on the kayak. I, I I it's one of the things I have a goal for for next year is to try and get better kayak pictures. But yeah, that's a, that's a that's a story for another day. Now. You caught a lot of different fish uh, this year. What did you have any that were your favorite catch of the year? Was there something that you caught that was a surprise to you? Well, uh, I mean, coming into the year, the goal was to get a hundred species. Now, uh, unfortunately, being that we're you know two weeks away from the new year, I'm just at about forty. Um, and you know what the killer was? I took one trip to Florida, one trip to North Carolina, mm. and I my Florida trip. If, if I spent like two or three of those days just with shrimp and like a high low rig, I probably could have caught like 40 yeah. different more species, but it Easily. wouldn't have been as enjoyable. I, I ended up spending those days, you know, targeting redfish and speckled trout because, you know, the fishery down where I was, was, you know, at nighttime, just unbelievable. And, you know, just using uh, voodoo shrimp, DOA shrimp, you know, uh, zoom flukes, just random uh, soft plastics and I had a little too much fun with them that I kind of missed out on some other fish but uh I would say probably my favorite uh trip was the North Carolina I went down to the Outer Banks for a week with my family it was great because I got to spend time you know with my daughter introducing her to like surf fishing um down there though I I was very excited to get into some redfish uh I'm not when it comes to like that fishery down there i'm as green as it comes like you know i i i got a lot of advice from you guys i got some advice from uh fat rich from fat dad fish and he really helped me out with like you know lures he likes to throw and like different times of day where to look and uh it was kind of rewarding because you know from like if you're in the pedal kayak like and you're pedaling 10 10 to 15 miles in a day it could get really daunting when you're not catching anything or it's not coming together. And, you know, the first trip I took in Oregon inlet, I, you know, hit a bunch of the sand flats on the way out to the bridge. And, uh, right at sunrise, I, I hooked into like a, you know, a decent sized drum, nothing crazy. I, I would say like a, a upper slot gave me a great fight on like top water. And I was like, I got this one fish. I'm like, I got to get to the bridge. Cause you know how the tide window and that, that inlet is for sheep. Wild, wild. I've only fished it once, but that, that bridge is like wild. Why? <laughs> I can't it, describe it any other way. It, what I was telling Schaefer uh, was if the sheep's head there are like tog here, like you go to the bridge and like every drop you can have one. That's what I was telling these guys. I'm like, I swear to God on my children's life, I caught over a hundred sheep's head one day there. And it's like, like if they miss it, you just drop, you drop it down like another inch or two and bam, there's another one on it. It's like there, there is a sheep's head in every space on every piece of structure around that bridge. Even the old bridge pilings, like there's a ladder coming out. They'll be on the ladder. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, if yeah. we had that kind, if we had that kind of fishery here, it, it wouldn't be a problem. You know what yeah. I mean? But we don't. But I'm on. I mean, I since both of you guys already fished, I'm assuming none of the fish were big, right? Um, well, 
Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, so when I went down there was in the middle of August, which isn't a great time for sheep's head there. Cause like most of the bigger ones, they said like are earlier in the spring or mm-hmm. in the fall. Yeah. But the biggest one I had of that trip would have been like just shy of like a giant up here. Like I hooked into some, but what I was fishing though was bigger baits. I would, I brought a ton of sand fleas, which were like, you know, the go-to bait, but I also brought about three dozen blue claws and I was literally fishing one ounce bottom sweepers with like literally half a crab. I was like or half or a quarter and it would kind of weed out the smaller fish. The biggest one I didn't like, like I said, I, I let everything go. I didn't, you know, measure any per se, but I would say probably the biggest one I had was like 10 pounds. Oh, ain't so bad. They're pretty decent. I had, a, I had a nine pounder that day. A lot of them though, like I'd say, uh, so I had 50 and all I kept thinking is Dan's 100. <laughs> and, and I'm like, man, this guy must've had like a five gallon bucket worth of sand fleas. Cause like I went through a gallon in like no time. Cause it's like, you can literally, and the, the beauty was it was the top of an incoming tide. So the water was like crystal clear. And like the only bad thing I could say about that inlet is it's almost like New Jersey in the fall. Like you're getting pulled in every direction. Like, so I'm on a bridge piling and I'm looking down and it's just literally schools of sheep's head just kind of like swirling around the pilings. And randomly there's a big school of redfish moving in with the incoming tide, like full reds, like all on the surface. And I see all these boats like following them and like trying to pick them off. While, while I'm still fishing for the sheep's head, I still see like cobia just perusing like decent sized cobia just under the bridge just chasing the pinfish and i'm like you don't you almost like you almost have to put the blinders on you're like okay i'm here to catch sheep's head i gotta (laughs) catch the sheep's head i'm never gonna have like like i was telling uh dan from bomb sweepers i'm like i caught more sheep's head in that one day than i've ever caught my entire life in new jersey me too yeah i mean it's it's a it's a pretty crazy fishery and and like you said I mean, I had dolphins swirling around me like it was and and the boat traffic and I wasn't there on an off day during the week. The boat traffic is just outrageous and fishing from a kayak. It's already the the most dangerous inlet on the East Coast for a reason. And then you're out there in a, in a little plastic boat and the weather pops up and then you got boats busting past you. It's it's pretty wild. But I, I it's an experience. I got to say, I, everybody that does what we do has to do it at least once because it, it's a lot of fun. And then once you're done sheep's head fishing if it's you know getting dark you hit some of those creeks on the way back i was catching specks in 16 inches of water it was it was a blast yeah but, I, mean, I, I gotta say uh, like it's it's a different fishery than what we experience here we you know we get thrilled for three three fish in a day here whereas down there you get three fish in the next three casts and or three drops and and it's like it's like uh video game fishing at that point now i will say though i think our advantage of being up here is it's such a more skilled fishery up here that mm-hmm. when you go down there, you're, I, there were other guys sheep's head fishing. And the funny thing down there, a lot of them are using not a lot. The, the jigs are starting to take off down there now, but yeah. a lot of them are fishing Carolina rigs or, you know, just an egg sinker mm-hmm. flying up and down. And, you know, I would, not like I'm not like some expert fisherman, but I was definitely out fishing a lot of guys. I had a few guys in boats asking me like, what are you using? And I'm, 
I'm like bomb sweeper jigs. That's the way to go. That, that's exactly the experience I had. The, these these older guys, they ended up. I ended up wanting to curse them out after later on down the road. But these older guys were uh, just picking up little tiny sea bass on that top and bottom rig, and I'm over there popping one sheep's head after another after another. And they're like, "What are you using?" I'm like, "I'm just using jigs in the same bait you're using, man." But uh, you know, it's. I, and a lot of these guys are fishing these heavy, heavy rods and reels, man. It's just, you look at it like, what are you hoping to accomplish there? Meanwhile, I'm over there with my, my 2000 size Stratic on a, on a tsunami slim wave that's bent like completely in half on a, on a seven, eight pound fish. And it's like, you know, that it, I, I don't understand, you know, as you get further South, a lot of these guys fish a lot heavier for them, but it's, it's just one of those things, like you said, you, you get, you get, you hone your skills up here and then you go down there and it's like, you're, you're a hall of famer in that world. Yeah. So. Now you do, obviously we've talked about the kayak. You do bulk your fishing from a kayak. Now I've looked back on your page and seen you in little puddle hoppers sitting on the, on the, on the pylons. Now you've kind of upgraded. Give us a little bit idea about your rig currently and how you have it uh, mapped out for you to be successful in your fishing, like electronics and sort of things that you have it rigged up with. So those old videos, that was a Walmart lifetime, like $200 kayak, which when I look back on it now, like I almost want to take those videos down because like, I wouldn't hate for someone to see that and think like, that's normal. Like I, I took that sitting kayak, like literally miles off the beach in the fall. Now I, I didn't put those videos up chasing bunker schools and like, bailing out water i had like a hand bilge to pump out the water and i'm thinking like man is this really worth you know catching a striper like you know risking your life and i and i, I hate i am ashamed to admit this i was very hard-headed with safety like i never wore life jackets in all those videos i took the you know we take that out a couple miles in the fall no life jacket i, I would have been screwed if i you know capsized or like no vhf radio but <laughs> in my older age, I've gotten smarter. I wear a life jacket. Now I did, uh, move into an old town kayak, um, last March, which, you know, I, I own a boat. And the funny thing, the minute I got this kayak, I've yet to use that boat. I'm ashamed to say that it's been sitting in my driveway for a year, but you know, um, all the, all the people that have kids know, like when you only get so much time to fish, like the kayak is just, so ideal you could throw it in your truck you could be in the water within minutes you could be out of the water within minutes you don't you're not waiting at the, like the ramp yeah you know you don't have to worry about engine problems um i was between a hobie and an old town um because i had so many guys like you know I, I i think i reached out to you beforehand like asking you about your hobie and mm -hmm. you know uh the, the deciding factor I think that came down to it for me, like, because both of them are great for fishing. Sure. But I, I really like the pedal drive system because I do a lot of, you know, structure fishing. And I like the idea of if you need to back off you instantly, not that pulling that string in a Hobie makes, it's really it's not a that pain. Good. It's a pain. It really is. It really is. So your instant, your instant reverse is money. Like I fished with my buddy, Pat, and he hit that instant reverse. Meanwhile, I'm like, 20 yards behind him at, at once my reverse finally kicks in it, it it is a game changer it really is so i i am jealous i'm not gonna lie i i am jealous of that drive system i love my hobie for everything else and it's fine you know i i do well with it so i can't complain but 
Yeah, I mean that that old town, man. I, I love it. If I could car top that thing easily by myself, I'd probably have one. Yeah, they are a little heavy, and I will say, man, I am when I do eventually move into another kayak, I think I'm going to go with a Hobie just so I could have the best of both worlds. Cause sure. uh, all the guys I fish with from a kayak standpoint have Hobies and it's funny, like they'll, they'll be pedaling so much faster. Like, Oh, can't you keep up with us? Like my buddy Dave, like he, he always brags how he could go like, you know, five, six miles per hour in his Hobie. I'm like, I'm sitting there going like three miles per hour, like pedaling like Lance Armstrong trying to keep up with him. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I'm kind of basic. Like it, I got the 106. I like the smaller kayak because you know I fish a lot of tight spaces and I being able to turn and like maneuver and really you know. And I know Qua uh, from fishing your skiff. You're in the same boat of like fishing really tight areas and mm-hmm. you know just that maneuverability is like very key. And I found that you know moving to that pedal drive. That's the other thing you know, fishing from the sitting kayak, I'm sitting here trying to paddle myself to, to a spot and fight the current and then fish with one hand. You don't realize how like seamless just fishing with a pedal drive kayak, like keeping your feet moving and just having your hand to steer and one hand to fish. Like it's, it's amazing. Like the technology. Cause like when, when we were younger, we, the, this wasn't a thing you had an ocean kayak or you had a boat, a John boat, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, uh, I, I agree. Uh, the, the pedal drive has changed the game for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, it's all a game changer, even from my perspective. Like when I first got my, my Hobie boat, my Hobie skiff, I didn't have my, uh, my trolling motor on there. So imagine me trying to sheep's head fish with no trolling motor. It's one hand, it's one arm hanging and one arm, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, how do you, how do you drop, how do you, how do you open your bail and drop your line when you're still holding the thing? So as soon as I got that trolling motor, it was a game changer. I could fish comfortably for most fish on structure by myself without even worrying about it. Yeah. So as us, as anglers, it's like whatever technology comes out that puts us as an advantage so we can fish more easily. It's better to do that instead of struggling just to fish. Cause it's not enjoyable when you're it's it's a lot harder to fish so if you can cheat and get those that that special technology to help you guys out just make sure you do it oh yeah i mean joe i'll give you i'll give you a quick story here so my first kayak was an ocean kayak prowler 13 the first kayak i actually uh i actually used i had a 55 pound thrust trolling motor on it and when i would be sitting in that thing it would be like this far out of the water i had that thing so weighed down (laughs) So I eventually upgraded from there to a Hobie Pro Angler, which I love that kayak, but it was not something I could manage on my own. So I stayed at my father-in-law's house and I had to wait, you know, for an opportunity where we could both go out, use his trailer to get it out there. Love the kayak, but I used it maybe seven or eight times total. I ended up selling it and had a little bit of money left over. I put money towards the house, I ended up selling it and bought a Vibe Seaghost 130. Great kayak, but to your story, I'm sitting there fishing the bay, fishing some structure. I get blown out, tied, tied with the wind, 30 minutes for me to come back to the spot. You know, it's just, that was the last time I fished from that kayak. I put it up on my roof and proceeded to limit out on fluke from land that day. And just at that point, I was like, okay, it's Hobie or bust. So I waited a couple of years to find the right kayak and the, the Hobie compass fits my needs. Now I will probably eventually get one of those, uh, those, uh, pra- the, um, I'm sorry, the old towns. 
and then my son or or whoever will get the, the compass it's going to stay in the family but that that's that's my goal yeah i mean i every time i watch the elias v videos and i see him and his hobie i'm like man i just i and it's funny it's one of those things it's like you don't realize it until you own a kayak like you look at how his setup is storage and all that and you're like man like and it's the same with boats when you're looking and watching like guys fishing from their boat and you're like wow like going back to your uh point of technology like it's amazing like growing up like imagine having spot lock 20 years ago oh game changer man you know what i mean like it's funny when you think back to when we were younger and like what you had to do to catch fish. And now it's like, you look at like the new technology for, you know, like live scope and you could see the fish actually mm-hmm. moving on your screen. Yeah. Like, man, it's, it's wild. But just technology, technology now turns most of these anglers out here into like wreck, wreck anglers, right? Professional wreck anglers. Yeah. They don't have to deal with wreck anchors. They don't have to deal with double anchoring over a wreck. You know I mean? Literally, drive over hit the spot lock and call today you know it, it made it turned the talk fishery into something spectacular now in a sense it makes everyone a talk fisherman so but it, it's funny you say that my buddy who does a ton of wreck fishing brian will take me out every once in a while has a really nice boat he's like a huge technology guy in fact he's like the tech guy where i work and he's got like this screen that it, it looks like a giant tv on his on his boat like has like everything under the sun from like chart plotting, sonar, you know, weather. Mm-hmm. And like, it's funny how far we've come. And also I'm like thinking how ridiculous certain things are. His, I guess, whatever program he has, has like Netflix built into it. I'm thinking, when are you ever watching Netflix on your boat? Like, unless you're living on that boat, like I'm not trying to watch like a 45 minute episode of something on the ride out to the wreck, you know? It's just kind of funny, like how, like, I don't know who in their right mind says, like, let, let's put Netflix on this fishing app. It's just yeah, crazy. I, like, like, I got, I, I put a radio on my boat. You know, what? I don't think I've turned it on this year. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Like, I know a lot of people listen to music. I can't. It takes me off my game. Like, I love music. Don't get me wrong, but I'm laser focused. If I have music, I'm like, it's going to mess me up. And then, not to mention, from a kayak, you're already a sitting duck, right? So you got, got to watch out, have your head on a swivel for everybody around you. So it's, it's just one of those things where it's, it's nice and nice in theory, but it doesn't really work on the water. In my opinion. I agree. Now you spent a lot of time with, with the, uh, the, the sheep's head and tog, but was there a, was there a fishery this year that you felt going into the year, you were a little uh, green on that you really tackled and, and felt confident by the end of the year that you had it figured out? Well, I mean, I think, a lot of the fisheries in this area, I would consider myself like a novice. I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, there's a lot of species in New Jersey that I target and I can catch, but every time I go out, I try and learn something new. Like I went perch fishing the last two days of this previous weekend. And I literally tried two new techniques that I've never tried in my life to see what would happen. Like, will this work? And like Tog and Sheep's Head, like I've known how to catch them. Uh, I mean, tog since I was a kid. Sheep said I would say for a few years now. But I feel, and I'm sure you guys would agree, every trip you go out, you learn something slightly, you know, new that you would never think, or you might see someone do something new, and you're like, wow, like I would have never thought of that. Like listening to your guys' podcast, you know, I I love the knowledge that, like, your podcast. I could listen to every day because, like, 
every time you have somebody on, I learn something. I like Matusin with stripers. I, I was listening to every little bit about like, cause you know, for a guy who fishes, you know, at one hour to, to two hours, like he really has it dialed in where mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys. I can't go for two hours, two hours. And I'm probably looking at my watch and texting my wife. I need two more hours. Like the fish aren't <laughs> cooperating. Like that, that, that's about when I'm texting my there. wife and I have no signal. <laughs> I did. I always use my, my poor wife, man. Uh, Thank God. She's like the greatest in the world. Like if I had a, if she had a dollar for every time I was late from the time I told her I'd be home, she would be retired. Yeah. That's, that's my situation. I'll, t- I'll literally tell my wife like, all right, um, I'm headed back to the dock now. That was like three hours ago. So like, where are you at now? Um, I'm just washing the boat. <laughs> well, that that's the beauty of kayaks. I always use the, the tide. I got swept away with the tide and the wind. It took a while. Joe, you got to be quiet. My wife listens to these sometimes, and I got to use these things down the road. <laughs> that's a beauty. I know my wife does not watch. I don't think she's ever watched one of my videos, so that's a good thing. I could, I could throw those in there. There you go. Yeah, I, I you know, it's it, we get carried away. I mean, we like like you. I have kids, so every time I'm out there, I want to maximize my efforts. And if it's a good trip, I want to keep going. If it's a bad trip, I want to turn it around. So there's always something in our world where it's like, okay, we got to do something in this next five minutes, this next 10 minutes, this next 20 minutes. It never ends. It really is always just a matter of the next few minutes or the next few casts. And I would say going into this year, sheep's head, the biggest thing I wanted to learn was like the first sheep's head I ever caught in my life was on a quartered blue claw. And it was, you know, off a jetty in Atlantic city. And this is going back years. And as I progressed and watched like Elias and other guys that really target sheep's head down South, like I started to try mud crabs, fiddler crabs, listening to your guys' podcast back. in I think it was May when you guys were like all about sheep's head talking about, and, and it was funny. Cause I remember you guys were going along and saying like, what's your go-to bait and you guys both differ. And that got me thinking like, man, like, let me step outside my comfort zone. Let me go try sand fleas. You know, I never was huge with sand fleas until this year. And like fishing for them, I learned a completely new thing. I also learned that like, that's like the greatest bait for jumbo perch. Like some of the biggest perch I caught this year were on sand fleas. Like, which you would never think like something that's up a river. Cause mm-hmm. Think about how often a white perch runs into a sand flea. Never, never. Like how often do you catch a white perch on the beachfront? Never. No. Yeah. The closest I've ever got one to the beach was a half mile from an inlet. But even that was like a stretch on like a dead low tide where you have more fresh water coming from the rivers. Yeah. I mean, listen, sand fleas and the sand fiddlers are my go-to. No matter what that other guy over there says, they all work, right? I, I'm a I'm a sand flea guy, and and to your to your point back when we were talking about how much sand fleas I had when I went down there. So I was driving. I, I left work that day. Uh, it was a Saturday. I left work and started driving immediately from work, and I stopped at the Oceanic Pier in Ocean City, Maryland, and I think I bought like three pounds of sand fleas. <laughs> I, it was like you know those little uh, buckets with the red flip lids. It was two buckets full of that those. I also bought some frozen ones. And then I stopped at Ocean's East in Virginia Beach and bought some of their jumbo fiddler crabs that are literally like the size of uh, um, bigger than a half dollar. 
like these big massive fiddler crabs those massive fiddler crabs did very well on the sheep's head down there as well but they were they were just too big they're expensive so you go through them quickly sand fleas that's all you'll ever need really if you if, if you commit to it um but yeah i mean there, there's going to be you're going to have a different beta choice i'm going to have a different beta choice Quad's going to have a different beta choice that's all what we're confident in you know it's easy to walk out to the beach and grab some sand fleas so it's it's one of those things where you're not flipping rocks and having to dig up half the beach to find your bait yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Joe. i was gonna say well the interesting thing that i learned with sand fleas so you know, not giving away too many secrets, but fishing for the sheep's head, I learned, you know, kind of a better idea of how to target them off of sod banks, right? Mm -hmm. But what I was finding, I was fishing with a guy who would fish mud crabs or fiddler crabs or the shore crabs, and he was out producing on the sod banks, uh, like I'd say four to one sheep's head. And I was fishing, you know, sand fleas at the time just sand fleas and not doing as well and it made me think like well this is weird because if i go to you know a spot that's a mile away that's all they hit for me and like they're just on them like you couldn't believe but then i start to think well how often does a sand flea show up in a sod bank never yeah i mean it's it's almost like i wasn't matching the hatch they'll see those crabs coming from those sod banks especially the fiddlers and it's, mm -hmm. it's like small stuff like that you don't think about because you think, well, I could catch them on this here. It should work here. And it doesn't always work that way. And, you know, that's, that's true. You know, I, I like to use them, the bridges and jetties and things like that that are closer to the beachfront, because like you said, matching the hatch is an important thing. That's why blue crabs is going to be good no matter where you go, because they'll find them everywhere in where they'll roam, you know, whether it be on the side banks you know, whether it be on the bridges, they're there, they're going to be on every dock piling. So that's a, that's probably one of the safer bets, but sand fleas for me, money. I love them. And I'll, one of my tricks is I'll take like a handful of them and rub them all together and just chum with them. And it, it really, it really makes a difference. So it's a little bit easier to do with them, no claws and everything else. So. Yeah. I've never had any luck with sand fleas at all in our area, period. Only time I've ever had luck with them is like talk fishing off a jetty or something, but like sheep not a chance it's, yeah, I've, 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 out, man. yeah i've just i've just never done well with sheep on them it's just it's just so weird no i, bet, no, you, I mm -hmm. bet you one of our spots where we catch big fish would catch well on the sand fleas there i tried it it's tall. all right well how about how about we do this we talked about having that little bet where you and i cat we, we have a sheep off i'll fish with sand fleas you fish with your beta choice we'll see what happens no let's just keep it whatever bait we want to fish with because it's till i get like i said it's still gonna be a handicap and i don't i don't like having handicaps so i don't think you have a handicap i think i'll i think i'll do better than you but we'll leave that for another episode sure <laughs> now joe you uh you film a lot on the water we talked about that and you're like like we said your youtube channel has grown significantly this year how how what would you attribute to it taking off and and what types of things did you learn along the way um for people that may be just getting started in that world that you could give a little bit of advice and then from there i'm going to turn it over to qua to talk about the meat and potatoes of this episode so um i think the biggest thing i've learned when i started the channel was like when the pandemic first hit and the reason i actually started like doing videos and putting more up um Prior to that year, every spring, I'm in full lacrosse mode. Like, I coach 
the high school team in my area. And like when I'm in lacrosse season, it's like blinders are on. I, I might fish, which is, uh, I'm ashamed to say, I might fish like five times in a three month span just because I'm like so ingrained with the season. And uh, when the pandemic hit and, you know, schools got shut down and sports got shut down, I had all this time I've never had, like after work to actually go fishing in the spring, which I haven't hadn't honestly done since I was a kid. Cause you know, going from college straight to work, you know, the last 10 years, spring has been like a dead, dead period for me. And I thought, you know what, I, I enjoy fishing. I, I think I have some interesting trips. I would like to like show people what I'm doing. Um, I know a lot of things I've learned about fisheries were from YouTube, you know, from people showing like just small tips and you know, that, that year, the pandemic that like started in March and literally there was a span in April where every day I would upload a video and it was like a daily trip up the river or like a daily trip to the beach or, you know, fishing in the back Bay. Um, I think the biggest thing is like, I'm not looking to become famous. I, I really actually like, I, I, I like the channel being what it is. You know, I'm not some superstar. I like that, you know, I do have a, a decent following, but it's not like a crazy cult. You know, I just enjoy that. Like the people that watch these videos, like I actually am blown away that like people spend time watching these. Cause like, like I said, like I, if I looked at my videos, I am not the best editor. And, and that was the first thing I went into. Like I look at Elias V you, you watch his videos cause you learn something and it's entertaining. You're not watching it. Cause like he has like a Coen brothers, like cut and like, there's like great music and like sound effects and all that. Like you're just watching it cause it's good old fashioned fishing and knowledge. And that's right. like, I look at him and I try and like emulate what he does. He kind of talks in the beginning about what he's about to do shows what he's doing shows him catching fish and it's that it's never like anything else um i will say though as you get older it's one of those things you learn i look back at when i was younger and wish that i fished as much as i want to now back then but before you know you have kids and responsibilities like i look back on like my 20s and i'm like man i wish i went fishing like i wish i went sheep's head fishing every day or i wish i went tog fishing every day in the summer yeah I, I look back even like 10 years ago compared to how i used to fish then to now and like how much it's changed and i i always i'm always like that like man i wonder i wonder where i would be now if i had spent more time this period of my life fishing you know like where i would be like if i'd be doing something different in my life because i love the sport so much that you know, if the right opportunity came along in this world, I would take it. You know what I mean? Just because uh, it's one of those things. I had a friend that said, hey, uh, you know, my partner's going to retire. You can have the other boat. Like, I'm like, I don't even have a captain's license. He goes, it doesn't matter. We'll get you your hours and you can fish like something like that. If I was a teacher, I'd jump right on it. You know what I mean? That's what he said. He said, you got to go become a teacher. And, and then the summers are off and then we just grind. And I'm like, man, that sounds like amazing. But then again, it's like I'm giving up my whole summer's for something that that that's becomes work that I loved, you know what I mean? Well, I I hate to tell you this, so I have my my master captain's license, like uh, tonnage, okay, and I work actually on a headboat all summer long, and I'll be honest, it kind of kills a certain fishery. Like I 
flounder fishing for me has been murdered from working on this boat because of like the stuff you experience. Right. Like you do have your great days where you get younger kids out there and you're teaching them and they're learning, they're excited. And then you get like the people that come out with like the irrational, like I need 20 pounds of flounder by the end of this two hour back Bay trip, you know, in the middle of August when all the big fish are out in the ocean, like, right. But it, there are days where it's enjoyable, but I think everybody sees that captain's license. They're like, Oh man, like to run your own boat. I like, depend on if you did like private charters, those guys seem to be like enjoying what they do. Cause it's small yeah. groups. It's more niche one-on-one. Yeah. And, and we, we talked about this with, with a couple of our, our captain friends, our charter captain friends, it's, it becomes entertainment. You're, you become an entertainer and an educator in that, in that position, you know, because you're, you have maybe, you know, somewhere between two and six people on your boat and, you have to keep their attention and you may not be catching fish the whole time. You may be sitting there trying, 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 and you could still be educating and, you know, entertaining at the same time and holding a conversation. You know, it's not always about the fish. It's the other stuff that you do while catching fish or trying to catch fish that brings those clients back the next time around. So, yeah, I, I agree. Like it, I, I don't know how I would react if my, my love became my job, but I would rather be doing that than what I'm doing currently. <laughs> So, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pop this over to Kwa because we're going to get into the, the best part of this episode. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to get into what Joe does best, right? If you ever watched this video, you haven't, well, this is what he does best. He teaches us how to catch fish most of the time. But, uh, so specifically today, um, during this time, most anglers, not, not typically this season, because we're having a typically warm season. So the stripers are still here. The bluefins are still here. You know, tog bite's still pretty, pretty darn good out there. But uh, on a non-typical season, this is when it gets cold. Most of us hang up our stuff. We wash our boats, we shrink wrap them, we put them away. Well, this guy on the opposite screen of me, he's geared up in his kayak up a river somewhere. And he's searching for, we call it, I call it, I call it silver gold, pretty much. We call I call it silver gold. So it's uh, winter perch fishing. So uh, let's, uh, let's, let's get into this, Joe. Um, when does your typical winter perch fish season begin? Uh, the beautiful thing about white perch, the season never begins or ends. They are truly one of the only fish in this area that you can literally catch from December till November, all year long. And, you know, from doing it, yeah, that's probably the only fishery that I've done since I was so young and, like, very confident in like what I know about them, but I still don't think I'm a master by any means. Um, I do find though, there's, I break it into four seasons, like anything, summer, fall, winter, spring. And a lot of the tactics that you can use in the winter work those other times of year. But it's funny, like, like anything else, you know, with the water temperature changing depends on where you're going to find them you know, the tide, the wind, there's a lot of factors, honestly, that go into it. So like, for instance, this time of year, I find to be kind of the more difficult part, like when we're transitioning from the end of fall into winter, like the water temperature where I'm at right now, like we're up the river was in like the upper forties, uh, last Sunday, which 
it's a great temperature to, you know, go out and get these fish because they're still pretty active. They're still feeding a ton, like kind of like staging in certain parts of the river. But it could also be difficult because they're moving. And they, they do so much movement. It would blow your mind how, like for a fish that doesn't, you know, leave the river, like they, they, they're one of the few fish that just migrate year long, either up or down, you know, up or downstream. And even like that little bit of movement, they sometimes could be so hard to pinpoint. Um, but you know, I, biggest three factors I find are water temperature, tide and wind especially the water temperature. Um, cause that dictates a lot of like what depth I'm looking to find them. Um, the wind typically is a bigger factor now that I'm in a kayak. Cause you know, this past weekend we had winds in the thirties and you can only go so many places to, you know, tuck, get tucked away from the wind. And, you know, that's the only downfall of a kayak in my opinion, like on a very windy day, it could get real sketchy where, you know, a bigger boat, you might not have those issues. Hmm. So, I mean, as much as you've been fishing for them, are you saying that white perch, you, they're not predictable, I would assume. Say you found them this time of year in this certain hole, you go back the next year and check that hole. Is there a chance that they'll still be in that hole? Or do you think because yes. you're saying that they, they move around so much. They move around so much and from what I've seen. So this Saturday I went out, I probably covered, I'd say 10 miles of the river, you know, just like scoping out different parts like mm -hmm. this time of year. Cause I haven't like, it's, you guys are the same way when you're in seasons. Like, so I was like all in with Tog like a month ago and stripers. And now I'm like slowly transitioning back to white perch. And like the last time I went white perch fishing prior to this past weekend was probably in August. So I, this last weekend was more of a recon. Like I wanted to kind of cover as much ground, maybe not fish as much as I would like to, but I want to start seeing where they are. And funny enough, it's like one of those things where like, I keep a log book of like what fish I caught, what the water temperature was, what the tide was from year to year and kind of like cross-reference. And it's funny, you do see patterns where, you know, last winter they were at this one hole this time of year, they're probably going to be there again. But what I found though, Saturday, uh, where I found fish, you know, in decent numbers came the next day, same exact tide an hour later, they were completely gone. And that's, you know, the kind of game you play, unfortunately, when the water temperature fluctuates, like it has been, like you were saying, like, this has been a pretty mild you know, start to the winter. Mm -hmm. um, I think once the weather stabilizes and it gets into that, like stays at like, you know, in the thirties or in the forties and the word temperature stays at that, that level until it starts to, you know, slowly move up before spring, they're more predictable. But right now it's kind of like you could find them in a, one spot and literally the next day they're gone. So um, I know earlier we talked about using technology to our advantage. Now, um, for white perch, is, is that the same? Do you apply the same technology to find these white perch, or do they, do they not show up on fish finders and stuff like that? They do show up on fish finders. Uh, funny enough, like the bigger ones actually look like small stripers, like, like a small striper mark. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what I do learn, though, like when they're schooled up, they're more tight to the bottom. 
So like if you're crossing over a spot and you start to see like that lumpy, you ever see like how like sea bass kind of look like the squiggly lines? Yeah. It kind of looks like that, but like much tighter to the bottom. Um, they do seem to, you know, tend to like very tight to the bottom. <coughs> Sorry. You're good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they, so they kind of do, cause for me, I was like, I, I winter fish. And like I said, I told you guys earlier, I don't do winter fishing. It's just way too cold, but at the same time, like, Wonder, I mean, white perch fishing just, just something I, I do love it. Like I do it during during spring, like the 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 uh the April May spawn. That's usually the only time I do fish for them because I get some really big ones. And you know, they're they if you've ever eaten white perch, they're they're delicious and they fillet really well. Like I took I took Dan for a, 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 a session out there and he it, it brings you back to being a kid, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm trout rods like we had so much fun we had so pound, much fun four pound tests we had little bobbers and like little mini jig heads and we were catching them on grass shrimp you know what i mean but it was just it's like the sight of the the, the bobber just going down and us as kids screaming at each other like your bobber's down your bobber's down set yeah we're, we're hook sets like way up in the air on these little fish it was wild it was so much fun it was qua me and johnny and we got some crazy like I, honestly i've never targeted white perch like that but we got into some big two pound two pound two plus two and a half pound fish and it's just like wow i had no idea had no idea i've only and, caught and, them in my catch and i've caught them a little bit like there's a little creek that opens up into a river i fish in delaware and i've caught some real nice crappie there but in the april i'll catch some real nice white perch on like little tube baits um that look like grass shrimp so it, it makes sense obviously but yeah i mean it, it's it was so much fun. I, that was probably one of my favorite fishing trips of the year by, by far. And see, I, I like filming this fishery and I put up as many white perch videos as I can. Cause in our area, they're very Everywhere. prevalent. There's not a heavy pressure until the springtime. And it's only like, it's almost like the stock trout, like where everybody goes opening day and mm -hmm. then like it phases off white yeah. perch. There's not many of us that go out, you know, and target them year round. Cause let's be honest. I mean, in the summertime, there's so many other species that in this area that, you know, tend to get more action than the right. white perch. And I believe that's the reason that they're, they're so populated because a few of us target them in like certain areas, certain times of year. And that's it. No one targets them all season round. So during, during the end of spring, summer, fall, these white perch are just moving around everywhere and pretty much they're just so and they grow so fast they oh the way they, they they reproduce and they grow super quick you know so i mean they can get up to like i've read one one and a half pounds and within three years you know what i mean so it's like they it's so quick and they're and they're what i don't what's i don't forget what the term it's called but they're they they can live in fresh and then they can live in salt and they can live in brackish so they're they're like a, a considered a semi andromus yeah, that's what I yeah figured that's and, the word. But interesting enough, with weight, you're right with weight, but with length. So mm -hmm. a five inch fish is about one point one years old. Mm -hmm. Ten ten inch fish, five years old. Yeah, if you could believe that, that it's kind of a crazy length of time to just jump the same, you know, right. length. Like a fourteen inch fish, they're, they they claim is close to eleven years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sweet. once they hit that that ten inch, they like don't really. Yeah, it's the same thing with tall too. You know, they like when they're 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 infants up to like what fourteen inches, they grow super fast, right? 
they said what seven years it takes them to grow to keeper size but after they hit that 15 mark it's like all right now it's only half an inch every year yeah so, it's crazy it's crazy when they grow so fast to a certain point and then they stop and it's like okay now we're gonna take our time growing but yeah i mean the white perch fishery is pretty incredible like the, the amount of them um let's see we're gonna go down this is one of those fisheries that we talk about a lot of yeah. times where um, the, the, the fish, you know, if you're looking for a sustainable option, white perch is that, you know, whether it be mm -hmm. snakeheads, white perch, if you're trying to take pressure off of some of these other fish that we, we enjoy catching, but, you know, are not sure about keeping or releasing just because of, but whether you're in different states of overfishing. White perch is a sustainable option. They're a great option. They cook well. They're easy to clean. They're, they're, mm -hmm. there's, there's not a whole lot of negatives when we're talking white perch. So that's one of those fish where in the past when we've talked about more sustainable options, white perch is that. That's, that's one of those fisheries we're discussing at that point. Right. But at the, at the same time, we're not telling you to go drag your 100-quart cooler down to the, the river and fill it up today and then go back tomorrow and do the same thing. We're not telling you. It's a sustainable fishery, but we're not telling you to fill up 100-quart coolers every, no. for like three days straight. Now that that you if enough people do that, guess what? This this fishery is going to be going down that hole too. For sure, so, I think I kept what ten to thirteen fish, something like that, and I fed my family three times. Can't beat that. No, can't beat that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you see, I won't ever keep anything under twelve inches, just because mm -hmm. if you've ever had the fillet of white perch, you know, like the small guys, unless you're gutting them, you're not yeah. really getting much off of them. Yeah, yeah. either either you're gutting them or you're frying them whole that's a different story, but like, you know, white perch 12 inches plus, you know I mean? Those are like the perfect size and they're, they're super easy to fillet and the meats are so white on them. You know, you'll enjoy them. Uh, so let's get into the, uh, your actual tackle for these um, white perch. So that's where it, it could be very tough to decide what you want to do. So I'm fishing mostly tidal rivers. I do fish some freshwater lakes, but the the tactics in the lakes to me are a lot different like i if i go to a lake i'm not fishing any live bait it's all artificials um with the rivers i do both depend on the time of year what i found cold water like winter time live bait will always outproduce and I, like i'm like one of those guys like i do like fishing artificials a lot but only when I know they will work. Like I won't go out in the winter and only fish artificials because I know it'll be a very tough day of fishing. Um, sometimes you get them when you, it's almost like building up a bite with tog. Like if you get mm -hmm. them in like a good school and they're just feeding like nonstop, that's when I'll start to add, you know, artificials and move away from the bait. Um, but I mean, I break it down by like the time of year is what I, you know, try and use so fall um all blood worms or sand fleas now grant you could you could use grass shrimp you could use minnows i mean i've used shedder crabs there's a, a shop right shrimp you know wax worms there's so many like they they are like like the catfish of the river like they will eat anything but i do find like certain times of the year certain baits are like key like if you're fishing in the summertime you can't beat shedder crabs. And I, I don't know if it's because there's more crabs moving around in those rivers at that time. And that's like their primary food source. Um, wintertime shrimp. If you have grass shrimp, you're going to catch fish. Uh, it's just like, that is like 
whenever they're not biting on anything else, you throw grass shrimp in front of them, you're like instantly going to get a hit if they're there. Um, what I was fishing this past weekend, which is like an, a good winter staple for like this area's minnows. And what I found, cause I, I try and find like different ways to catch them and like what's a feasible bait, you know, in the winter time, grass shrimp could be kind of tough to find, especially when the bay start freezing over and the creeks start freezing. And that's typically where I'm going to catch the grass shrimp. And when they freeze over, I don't know if you guys have ever had to break ice to get to like grass shrimp. It is not a fun, like it, no, you start questioning, like, do I really want to go fishing today? What has my um, life become? What has my life become? Break, I'm breaking ice, ice to catch grass, grass shrimp. shrimp. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, that's my, that's my struggle every winter, but I, I'm learning like new things, like to like fight having to do that. Like, you know, in fact, today I literally just picked up a flat of bloodworms and what I do every winter I, you know, buy a flat right before most of these tackle shops are about to close and preserve them. And I bag them up in half dozens to get me through the winter. If like I'm in a pinch and like, I can't get minnows, I can't get grass shrimp. I have at least these frozen bloodworms. And I'll be honest, like they, they work better, I think, than actual live bloodworms. Hmm. Like they stay on the hook better. Um, you know, that they, they hold the same scent if you preserve them the right way. In fact, I did a, a YouTube video last uh, November on how to actually do the process. And, you know, a lot of guys were, I get messages every day now, like about that video, like, man, you saved me. Like, I can't tell you how many times I bought a dozen bloodworms. I use like three and then like they go bad and I throw them away and they, they're like freezing them now and using them. And, uh, you know, those are like the main live and fresh baits that I'll use like night crawlers work as well. They're a little bit cheaper, but, uh, if we're talking rigs. If you're fishing bait, um, I do my own, you know, high, low, triple hook rig. I use sabiki rigs, um, herring rigs, tog jigs, shad darts. I mean, they're not a picky uh, species. Depend on like what part of the river I'm fishing and how much current we have will depend on what I'm fishing. Like it's very tough to fish, you know, one 32nd ounce, one 16 ounce jigs with like a heavy current. So if, we, if I'm fishing like the height of a tide, I'm more than likely using a rig that I could put like a one or one and a half ounce, possibly two ounces, depending on what part of the tide weight on the bottom to like hold that position. Um, but if I'm fishing like low current, I'll, I'll fish like more like, you know, almost like fluke rigs with like a jig on the bottom and then 12 inches up like a standalone hook with, you know, live minnow or a soft plastic marabou jigs. They all work very well. I mean, it's kind of like what time of year winter time rigs is the way to go if you find like a spot that you want to anchor up on and just hold that's typically going to get the job done now typically typically when you anchor up to one of these spots that you think are holding fish and you make your initial faith first cast like and then their second cast and nothing touches your bait the third cast like how long do you give a certain area time before you say you know what i don't think they're in this area i move on or do or is it you got just say you get a bite like 10 minutes later and then so, like like do you hold out and just wait or do, is it one of those build a bite kind of deals i think it could be both i i've been doing it so much that like i i have in the back of my head certain areas that i know 
at certain parts of the tide, you, I might be there a little bit early. It's almost like tog fishing. Like if you've gotten to a spot, you know, structure and you get there and the tide is moving way too quick and you're just mm -hmm. waiting for that like magic hour. Yeah. And you're like, you know what, let me wait maybe 20 more minutes and see if it slows down and if the fishing picks up and that's how it could be sometimes like Saturday or I'm sorry, Sunday went to a spot that I know that they would show up in because just how the tide moves in this one area. It, and it's funny, like one of the big misconceptions with perch is everybody thinks winter. What's the first thing you think of when you think of perch? Like, where should you go? Deep holes. Deep holes. Warm. Right. And, and that is not necessarily the truth. I, in fact, I was catching them Saturday in less than two feet of water in 47 degrees of, you know, 47 degree temp water. And I learned a long time ago by mistake. A lot of things I learned actually were mistakes. I anchored in a spot, you know, when I was like 15, that I, it was like right off of a, a slough, like a drop off where mm -hmm. I was anchored was probably six feet where I was fishing was probably like 11 feet. By the end of the tide, I was sitting in like, no lie, like a foot and a half of water. But if you've ever fished those rivers, you know, like a foot and a half of water, you still can't see the bottom because it's, you know, muddy. Yep. And I did one of those, you know, you're trying to cast and the bales still closed. You know, the old yeah. cast, oh, yeah. it hits right, hits right down at the, like where my engine was. And literally, as soon as it hit the bottom, I had like a monster hit. And I couldn't believe it. it was literally, I just lifted it up and it came out of the water like a jumbo perch. And I'm like, man, I wonder if that guy's been, and literally the next 20 casts were literally flipping it behind the motor in like two feet of water. And they were, and this is in the dead of winter. And I'm thinking like, I, it, it changed my whole thought process. Cause I've always been thought like thinking like, man, they're always deep. They're always deep. They're always deep. I come to find out that a lot of the marine biologists in this area that do like the studies and like, try and net them and like kind of study their movements said that they actually tend to be in shallower water at certain parts of the day in the winter when the sun's up yeah they say it heats i guess the bottom that water gets a little bit warmer than let's say like a deeper spot yeah and um because i think what happens is um i think white perch are actually not really perch they're actually part of the striper family mm -hmm. they're they're so as stripers are the same they're they're the same thing during 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 day when the sun's up high, they're usually on the mud flats warming up because the sun's already heating up the mud. So that water temperature is going to be a few degrees warmer than the deep pockets. Striper during the winter, they are during their holdover season, they are sitting in deep pockets because they want to stay warm. So they move up into the shallows during nighttime because the sun warmed up the mud already. So that's why a lot of fishermen during spring and stuff they fish the shallows because the mud's already warm. From the day sun so that's why they catch them so i'm assuming perch are somewhat acting the same way stripers do because they're the same family warm days sun sprite they're sitting on the flats just staying warm that's all they're doing and and like there's so many like different other factors like let's go back to tide so mm -hmm. this time of year i've always liked the top of the incoming and the beginning of the outgoing and what i think is like i fish a lot of like where creeks are either flowing into the main river mm -hmm. and it seems like those creeks hold minnows, you know, other yeah. shrimp crustaceans that they're feeding on. And I mean, 
So, you know, Sunday I'm doing this exploratory trip and I'm just mostly pedaling, looking at my depth finder and just kind of marking, you know, different bottoms, different structures. And it was almost like every Creek I passed was like, you could see like the school fish just sitting there. And, you know, it's one of those things as like an angler that like, I guess you grow and learn like that weekend. I learned so much that I needed to know moving forward for the next few weeks that would, that to me was better than like stopping at the first Creek that I marked like a ton of fish. Like, yeah, I probably could have, you know, mugged some, some nice perch, but it also lets me know, like I take the mental note. Okay. Water temperature was this, this was the tide and they're here. And then you could kind of pinpoint like different areas that you want to try and target. So like I go back and, and Dan knows like with kids. So I, when I first started the YouTube channel, Every video that I filmed was in a two and a half, three hour span. Cause that was my daughter's nap time. And my wife would take one for the team, stay at home, watch her. And I just said, I'll be home right when she gets up. So I literally, we'd put her to bed. I'd have my truck loaded, get my truck, like run to the river. I'm like trying to get out there. I'm like looking at my watch. Like I got two and a half hours. Like I need to make this work. And it's funny, like you're definitely more, structure driven and you have like more you know of an idea of like what you need to do and what you, how you need to get it accomplished and it's funny you learn to fish every tide when you're like that so like her nap is always the same time every day but the tide is always different so i'd be circling days on the calendar like this day has to be perfect because the tide lines up with her nap and but what i was learning is that you know you could catch them all day long and just depending on what tide you're fishing depends on where you need to be. It's, and like, it's very, very, if you had to compare it to another fishery in this area, very similar to Tog. Like we were talking the other day about how I, I'm truly believe percher structure driven, much like Tog. And, you know, growing up, I was telling uh, Kuala, like a bunch of our buddies, you know, decade ago used to get old Christmas trees that people put outside their house you know, after Christmas and we'd take them out to this one deep spot in the river and dump them. And over time, like this spot, like would hold massive schools of perch that were staging their move up the river for spawning. And, you know, it's funny, like they would hold there because of the trees and because of like the structure. Now I was telling them, you know, it's a super sag like snaggy spot. You'd lose a lot of rigs, but you know, it's kind of interesting to see like how they can, stick to that structure and stay there and wait um because most of the time honestly these fish are waiting for the water temperature to hit 50. I, i've learned uh from you know a marine biologist that works very close uh to here in the Rutgers campus that 50 degrees is the temperature that <clears throat> kind of triggers them to make that movement to move up river and you know, like I was saying earlier, this time of year could be difficult because they're kind of moving and staging at certain parts of the river and getting ready for winter. But the spring could also be difficult. I know they're in higher numbers and they're moving together to get to one area to spawn, but that could be also difficult because, you know, they go as far up the river. I mean, I've seen them as a kid and even now, like, which is if you ever have like kids and you like nature, going to like the head of a river in like May and watching like some of the cool things you see, like you see herring and like 
white perch. You see stripers in like inches of water. And you're like, how the heck, you know, does a fish like a herring? They're, they're traveling hundreds of miles from offshore up the rivers. And you always wonder, like, how do they know, you know, this is the time to go up the river. And like they say, what's, what's interesting about them is they go back to where they were spawned. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting when you read into the science of like, you, do you guys know what actually like starts the herring run? Like how, like what triggers them to like start moving off from offshore into the rivers? I honestly don't know. I've never looked into it. Either. So a lot of it has to do with water temperature, but also sunlight. So I guess the amount of sunlight changes every day because of, you know, the earth rotating. And, mm -hmm. you know, as we get later into the spring, you start getting more sun. Yeah. Apparently like the sun has a big factor in like when they know it's time to start moving, which is kind of interesting. Like they do say water temperature is like the initial like factor that tells them, okay, it's time to start making that move. But the sun, they say like how much sunlight there is actually, you know, and then, once it gets closer, moon phases is big because they say the 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 high like the full moon, that water, that amount of motion pushing up river will help them move, you know, with ease compared to fighting against it. Yeah, I mean those things always intrigued all of us. Just like to this day, everyone's still trying to figure out what's the mad, you know, what's what's the magic number or what's the magic temperature that's causing that tells stripers in their mind to start migrating. Like, it's like, oh, we're hanging out. We're hanging out fall. Like, when do we start going back home? Like, how do we know? How do they know? You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things we just will just never understand. Like, stripers is like, you flick on the light. Let's migrate for our spring run. Flick on the light again. Let's go back home. You know what I mean? Like, well, we can't figure it out. If, we're, if we could figure out a scientist that can figure out exactly what triggers them, that'd be pretty amazing. But like I said, a lot of people say it has to do with the water temperatures too. That tells the stripers, hey, guys, it's time to go. Yeah, it, it always amazes me. Like I, I like, I don't like to overthink things, but like it's kind of crazy when you think about like the grand scheme of how like a lot of that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like the white perch in this one certain area that we fish, it's like they're not there all year round. You know, it's like a lagoon and it's, they're not there. Like you can go and, january february march they're not there it's just we're, we're we always check our we check our instagrams and our facebook memories right because it gives us an idea of the <laughs> time frame that we caught them so we'll always check and they'll be like hey guys i'm gonna make a recon mission to our spot and our honey hole and i'm gonna see if anyone's home so we'll occasionally one, one or a few of us would just make that random trip with a, with a rod and just kind of toss it out and see and if 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 they, we pick up a fish you know it's just you know, like, hey, guys, it's, it's about to happen. So that's when we drop everything we're doing. You know, we'll, get, we'll give up chasing stripers. We'll give up chasing gator blues. You know, we'll drop everything and just go white perch, white perch fishing for like two weeks. Grab straight. the dip nets and the buckets and the bubblers, all that good stuff, and load up on the grass shrimp and go nuts. It was, I, like I said, it was one of my most fun trips this year. I can't wait to do it with you guys again. So, yeah, well, this time we'll try to get your kids out there too. They should know how to blast with them. But uh, for, for some reason, we find it like in our area, the way where we fish, it's like the minnows aren't as good as the grass shrimp, but the minnows always get the jumbos, like the I, big, the big, 
like two pounders, two and a half pounders. You know, they, you, you just took my next thing. I was about to say about winter, like minnows will get you jumbos. You're not, it's going to be more quality, less quantity. If mm-hmm. you want to catch fish, shrimp, shrimp will get you on them. Minnows will get you the big ones. And yeah, they say a lot of it actually has to do with like the amount of energy, like, those bigger fish will eat those bigger like minnows or bigger baits because it's more energy that they can store. Mm-hmm. Like they won't sometimes mess with a small shrimp, but I also like, I found that that could be false. Cause I've caught some big stripers in the winter on like literally the smallest shrimp you could imagine yeah. on like the smallest hook that you're like, and you know, as soon as you hook into them, you're like, this is not a world record perch. Like it's probably a nice schooly striper. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a dime it dimes on us too because the area we fish it's weird it's because like we'll catch we'll catch white perch we'll catch white perch and all of a sudden we'll get a random largemouth bass in there oh, a, yeah. ran, a random catfish you know what i mean it's like or herring we caught herring in there like randomly catching herring in there i'm just like what is in this lagoon it's just like everything's in here so growing up you'll you'll enjoy this growing up i worked in a marina uh Absecon bay sportsman center actually yeah, yeah. and that, so I'm dating myself back in like the nineties. Uh, the owner there used to run nets, spike nets up the river when you could actually have a permit to catch herring and like keep them to sell as live bait for, you know, sh- spring striper fishing. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the neatest experiences I've ever had was going out and helping him, you know, tend to those nets. So they'd put them out. You could put them out march 1st but they had to be out of the rivers by may 1st the amount of different species that you would never know were swimming by like so if you've ever seen one of those spike nets they were like the barrel style and you know there's so many at the time there's so many regulations of how you could set them up but he'd have two in a pretty you know wide stretch of the river and you could only tend to them really at, at dead low tide because You'd, you'd have your waders, you'd walk in like a quarter mile out to go check them. And like, you had like the big floating cage that, you know, you'd dump everything in and then kind of call out. We'd always like to let go everything that, you know, was by catch. Luckily, most of it like survived. Like you get a ton of yellow perch. This I'm, I'm not making this up. There's definitely some state record perch in those nets that like you could easily just throw in your bucket and said you caught, but it'd be, you know, it wouldn't be the right thing to do yeah but i mean hog chokers like the little flounders we'd get in those nets i mean stripers uh pumpkin seeds i mean you'd have we one year in may we had bluefish and i'm and the crazy thing is like this is like i'm going probably this probably like 18 miles up river you know it's not like it's like the mouth of a river where there's a little bit of a, a strong salt line this is like you know, you're catching crappie in the same net as you are herring, perch, like, and lamp, like they'd get the most, like the sucker fish, the white suckers, like, mm-hmm. uh, gizzard shads. I'm telling you, like, it was like, it was like going to the Lanxia Aquarium every time I went, like, you couldn't believe like the different species that were like, m- like moving up and down that river. That's pretty crazy. Bluefish up that far. I wouldn't even think I would catch. I, I wouldn't even see for like stripers and white perch. I could understand catching them in where with pumpkin seeds, largemouth bass, catfish, but like an actual bluefish in these nets where it's pretty much almost almost fresh fully. 
It's crazy. That's like the thought of it. It's just mind blasting to me, you know? Well, I'm telling you the main river that I fish in my area every April, it's almost guaranteed. I'll get like a gator blue while I was perch fishing. And I think most of the time it's, they're grabbing like a smaller perch that I'm reeling in. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going for like blood worms. I could yeah. be wrong, but, um, it, it's a, it always amazes me. Like, cause I'm thinking like th- these bluefish are so far up river. I mean, it's like sweet water. That's gotta be fun. That's gotta be fun on perch gear. Oh <laughs> yeah. Especially like the four pound test, like yeah, the, yeah. the drag screaming. I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to, and it's always like you always get lucky where it's like hooked perfectly where it can't bite through. Bite through, yeah. That's crazy. So up to date, ever since you were two years old till now, what's the largest white largest white perch you ever put? So not a huge one, uh, but biggest was about 17 and a half inches. It was just under two pounds. I think it just spawned out because it was like late May. Mm-hmm. Caught it actually right near a dam. And you know, it from a length standpoint was a really nice perch. Weight wise, I've never caught one over two pounds. A lot of guys, and it's funny because like you look at <clears throat> like the state record in New Jersey for salt water is like just over two and a half pounds. But what's interesting, there's a freshwater record and it's over three pounds. So like the state of New Jersey like breaks up like freshwater, salt water. Yeah. And like it's funny how like uh, you hear guys all the time, like I, all the old timers. Oh yeah, we had two and a half, three pound perch. I'm thinking you caught state record perch and you didn't weigh them in. Like, like I, it's funny because like I think some people could get like weights a little messed up with perch because mm-hmm. like they catch a huge one, a jumbo, and they're like, oh, it has to be three pounds. And then when you weigh it, you're like, oh, it's it's only like a, like, a pound and a half. Yeah. Right. But we get, we get a lot of ours like that. They look so big and their bellies are so round. You know what I mean? And they're like one and a half i mean i think our biggest one we weighed was like 2.1 pounds or something and that thing would that thing looks so massive you know you put it right next to your shoe it's like whoa it's longer than your shoe but it's got like shoulders yeah and you're thinking it's like it's like three pounds but it's not but at the same time like the i don't know the the fight in a white perch is incredible like they're crazy they they take runs they'll pull drag it's like it's i don't know it's it's it's, it brings you back memories for me as a kid you know i mean catching that jumbo one pound slab bluegill that just rips drag and just takes off everywhere because it feels like it it's crazy yeah and you're fishing you're fishing light gear so everything Mm -hmm. is super fun like my 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 pb uh crappy is like like your fish joe Uh, it was a 17 and a half inch fish just spawned out you know, a crappie at 17 and a half inches should be, you know, somewhere between two and a half and it could be up to four pounds depending upon how many eggs it has in it. And this fish had just spawned out. So she had this mushy belly and it was 2.68 pounds. I'm like, damn, man, I was that close to a three pound crappie. And had she had eggs, had it been two weeks prior, it probably would have been a three pound plus crappie. It's just, it's wild how much those things change when they spawn and everything. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's funny, like you don't realize like, like one thing that I would love to do more is fish more like jigs for them, almost like how you tog fish. Yeah. Cause you guys know, like if you've ever caught a striper on like a chunking rig and then caught one, like on a half ounce jig, it's two different fights. Oh, yeah, you're not 100%. fighting like a three ounce sinker. 
you know, you're yeah. not fighting with like a beef stick rod. And like, like you said, they do make some good runs. Like I, I honestly compare them. They're like, I call them the poor man striper. Like mm-hmm. they, they do have those good, you know, sideways runs. Yeah, they do. And you always, the funny thing you always know, like this previous weekend, every fish I hooked, I knew what I had because it either had that good run or it had the death spin of like the catfish, like the white mm-hmm. catfish. Cause oh. there's, there's so many white catfish around right now. And like, we probably, I probably caught about 50 in about two hours, like as bycatch. Yeah. I mean, those were, it's just like, yeah, you were just talking about the bites with like fishing for stripers. Like if you catch, if you catch a striper during their spring on a, like a chunk, you know, they fight one way, but like, as much as we talk and sheep fish, right. How, how often have you hooked a striper on a bridge? And that thing feels like, like it feels like a 25 inch sheep's head just running you to nowhere, man. But you know, in the end you pull it up, you think it's like a monster sheep and then you pull up, it's like a 26 inch bass, but that thing just, it had so much fight in it. It was just crazy. I will tell you, I think I catch more stripers tog fishing than I do tog sometimes. I'll believe you. Probably the sand fleas. They love them. Yeah, the sand fleas, the crabs, you know what I mean? Because, you know, what what are bass doing around bridge ponds, right? They're just sitting there waiting for, like, current to whip whip these crabs and stuff off the uh, pilings. And they're just sitting right in that little eddy just waiting for free lunch. That's all they're doing. Yeah. All right, cool. So for uh, coming up 2022, any future trips planned? Anything cool that you have coming up for the channel? So I, I'm every year I look back and I try and like, I look at all the videos, videos I do in the year. And I try and like, think like, what can I do the, the like the next year? That's different. Like I do want to continue targeting like and showcasing local species like tog, sheep's head, stripers, perch. Um, but I want to like branch out and do different videos on like different ways to catch them, you know, different areas. I, I, I don't do enough surf fishing. I think it's like one of those things where it's like you look at how much time you have and you're like, you, you try and fit so many trips. Like I'm looking back at October and November this, this year. And I'm like disappointed at myself for not getting out more than, you know, what I already did. Cause mm. you know, I just look back I'm like, man, I should have did this. I should have did that. Um, 2022, I'm definitely going to be trying to target more species. Um, I still haven't, uh, turn the corner. I don't think I'll ever do it. Uh, the, even though I know it'd be a huge hit, uh, the New Jersey redfish, I just can't <laughs> bring myself to put that on YouTube. I feel like I'd have the redfish mafia in New Jersey <laughs> finding me and probably have you know, a half dozen guys from South Jersey up, up your butt on that not, knocking on your front door. <laughs> I'd probably have like a, a dead horse in my bed. Yeah. yeah. Those and the, uh, the Jersey speckled trout, right? Yeah, that they're gonna have to, I guess, wait for many of years because I it's one of those things like I don't think the world's ready for it yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you see how guys are now with, with like sheep's head. Yeah. And I can only imagine like if you, you ex- expose what we actually have here. Yeah. The good thing though is that redfish and speckled trout both have New Jersey regulations, technically speaking, because yeah. the the weak fish uh, regulation overlaps with the speckled Special, trout. Yep. Yeah. So that's the only good news in that situation is that you do have the, the one fish limit on both of those fish. So, you know, there ain't, there ain't many guys going out there catching five, six, seven slot size redfish in one trip to have to worry about too many fish being kept. But 
that's the only good thing. It's like, it's like you have these fish like that, that have regulations yet. We have sheep's head that are here more prevalent and we can't, we can't uh, even get people to consider it without raising some hell is the mm -hmm. biggest thing. So, and that, that, that was the one thing that always puzzled me with our state is they're very, I feel like they're very proactive when it comes to setting standards for, you know, size limits. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you guys remember when you were kids, there was never a flounder limit. It started at 12 no. inches and then every year it was 13, 15, 16, mm -hmm. 16 and a half. Now we're at 18. And, you know, they're very progressive about certain species like flounder. I, and I don't know if it's because I guess like the mid Atlantic fishery is like, very proactive about flounder but you know like you guys say all the time like if we keep doing what we're doing like it, we're going to go in the wrong direction and i i know you say this all the time like you want this fishery to be around for your kids and their kids yeah absolutely i mean that's the biggest thing to me like i've caught more than enough fish in my lifetime to be happy with what i've done now do i want to do more sure but now my goals as a 40 year old man is like looking to the, my kids future and what they can accomplish in this thing. And, you know, if my son wants to be able to bring fish home for dinner for his family, what's there going to be left out there? That's the question, right? We don't know. We don't know where these fisheries are going. We don't know where these regulations are going and where politics are going to play a role in all of that. It's there's a lot of prongs to it that can really affect our children's future, being able to have success in this, in this, this industry, whether it be personally or, you know, commercially or, uh, you know, a captain or anything. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see how these next five to 10 years play out for striped bass, for tog, for fluke, you know, those fisheries are getting absolutely hammered every day that those fisheries are open like day in and day out like that is not sustainable no matter what anybody says so i mean you got guys that are sitting home retired going out and catching a limit every day on certain fish they're not posting it on the internet you know so we don't know you know it's just, just a lot of unknowns out there and it's really you know you you have these conversations on these facebook forums and stuff with people that are on the opposite side of the fence and you try to keep it as respectful as possible because you don't want your stance to get lost and you becoming disrespectful and name calling. You want to do it the right way. You want to just subtly put your points in there, add a few facts and keep it moving. And it, it always becomes this thing like, oh, well, you're just whining about this on my post. And it, no, it's a public forum. So there's going to be two sides to every equation. I just want to be able to say mine because there's going to be people that may not be you watching that could be swayed one way or the other. And that's going to what, be what changes our fisheries for the future is information and people being passionate enough to push these, you know, these views, the, the science is really what it comes down to, because the science is the science. You know, there's a lot of regulations that are formed based off of science, and then there's regulations that are formed that are based off of other things. And what we have to do is kind of see what makes sense. We don't have to follow regulations. We can regulate ourselves. You know, do I need to go down and keep five speckled trout when I go to, to Virginia Beach? No, because guess what? I can't eat five speckled trout in one sitting and they don't freeze. So they don't freeze well. So what am I doing? You know, I, I try to, this past year, I think I caught 37 keeper flounder from the beach and I, I released 24 of them. You know, what? I, one fish, one keeper flounder feeds my family. It's getting close because my son's getting bigger and he's eating more because he always gets that small side of the belly. But, you know, it, I, I look at it in terms of what do I need for a meal now as opposed to filling my freezer? You know, there's the, the filling the freezer thing is just one of those things that you know we got to get away from it's not about that 
feed your family for a meal and then go out and fish another time. Gives you an excuse to get back out, right? If you don't have fish sitting in your freezer. Yeah. Sorry, I went off on a tangent, but those are my, those, that's how I feel about this. Cause I, I spent a lot of time on these, these Facebook forums and groups and everything, you know, just trying to, to spread the message that we don't need to keep every fish we catch every time out. Yep. And for me, it's the same thing. As I got older, you know, I'm for, I'm hitting 40, I play 40 myself. I'm at a point where I'm all about catching trophy bigger fish for that, for that beautiful photo. And then just let her go. You know what I mean? That's, that's where I'm at. And same thing with guys I invite on my boat. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't invite the neighborhood onto my boat. You know, it's only specific people that I know are like-minded, like, you know, like Dan, like yourself, Joe, guys like you welcome on my boat anytime, because I know your mindset and the way you guys are. So, you know, we'll catch that double digit sheep's head, right? I'll set you up, keep the fish in the net, keep it in the live well, as healthy as possible, whip it up real quick for that beautiful shot. And then just, catch that beautiful release and let her go. And, you know, and that's, to me, that's, that's, I, I want to educate everyone about that because in the end of it, like, why are people doing what they're doing now? Because they just want that beautiful picture, perfect Instagram shot. Right. Well, I try to give it to them and then give them a reason to educate them like this. You don't need to keep this fish. You can do this beautiful photo, set it go and continue fishing. You know what I mean? Cause next year, what if you come back and catch that same fish and now it's grown two more inches. Now it's a bigger fish. So, I mean, like I said, I told Dan, I tell everyone on our podcast, if I can educate and change one mind a week, I've done my job. And that's, that's all I keep pushing for. And, and you know, the sad thing, a lot of these guys don't realize the damage that's done until it's too late. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many guys that complain to me about like, oh man, this spot used to be so great, but you know, so-and-so and all these people keep posting pictures on Facebook where they have the background mm -hmm. and I'm not like, <clears throat> I don't want to get into spot burning because yeah. uh, we could be here for another hour, but <laughs> like, it drives me nuts when people, you know, they shoot themselves in the foot. They want to brag about a fish and they post it on their Facebook and fish brain and all these different sites. But then they're like, Oh, there's no more tog. All my tog, mm -hmm. at the, you know, so at this place is gone. And I'm like laughing. I'm thinking, well, what do you think was going to happen when you, you post a picture with like more background than fish? Like people, people are smart. I, I, I can't tell me times. And I know this is bad because I'll never, you know, do this, but I watch Elias's videos and I'm on Google earth in Wilmington, you know, North Carolina. Like, was he here? Was he there? Like, yeah. cause it's like one of those things as a fisherman, when you see somebody catching something, you're like, you got to know. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I, I'm going to say we're all guilty of it. Just yeah. us. We're all guilty. All these, all these fish, fish pictures were guilty. Well, or occasion we'll look and then like, Hey, I noticed, I know that house. I know that yeah. roof, that roof color. You know what I mean? For us, that's like, we, we manage it, but then there are, there are literally people out there that don't want to put in the work and they'll just sit there and scroll, 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 scroll all day and try to find all those little landmarks, then get on Google maps and find that little thing and try to put the pieces together. But I mean, sometimes I agree with spot burn and sometimes I don't because the fact that Fish have tails, right? And they will swim. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, just because we burn a spot doesn't necessarily mean the fish will be there. Um, but at the same time, it, it does give people an advantage of where to start looking for them. Well, and, and they have these migration patterns. So they always mm -hmm. return to the same places. So whether yeah. they're there next week or not, chances are if you catch them a certain period of the year and you catch them heavy there next year, they may be there somewhere around that same time. So, you know, I, I, I laugh a lot because 
I look at people's pictures and I'm like, oh, I've been there before. I've mm-hmm. been there before. I've been there before. So, you know, a lot of times you're not identifying spots that you've never seen before, but you're getting confirmation that you can have success in those spots. Like my buddy that he had the, the six musky day and I recognized the way this tree was hanging over the river over top of his head. And I'm like, is that such and such a place? Like it's where you got to walk through this place to get there. He goes, yeah, that's it. I'm like, holy crap. I've been there so many times. I've never even had a bump. And he had a six, six musky day on that bank. It's just, even, even if you have all the keys to success, there's still the aspect of you, the angler making everything work and putting it together. Mm -hmm. I, I tell you one of the funniest things, and maybe I'm like one of those weirdos, but like when you're watching something and you're trying to learn it and you fit finally figure it out. You don't, you kind of like feel like Nicholas cage and like national treasure. You're like, this is that the spot. Like I finally found it. Like I found where I like, you've been looking, looking, looking. And it's, it's like one of those like gratifications, like, okay, so I, I am figuring something out. Mm-hmm. Joe, there was a spot um, on the highway that I used to say, Oh my God, this has got to have snakeheads. It's got to have snakeheads literally on the highway off of two ninety five. You got to park on the highway to fish the spot. And I'm like, I've caught them connected to this location before, yet I've fished here six years in a row and never caught a fish. No matter what, every time I drive past there, I stop and make a couple casts. Well, guess what? Year six, I caught six fish in about a 45 minute to an hour span of time. So I was right. It's just a matter of putting those things together at the right time, right place, right time and everything working out. But yeah, it's like, oh my God. And this epiphany happened. They're here. They are here. Yeah. I was able to seal the deal, but it was, it was wild. It's like, why do you keep going back to this place? And you've had zero success. It's because in your head, you know, things should happen here when you're here. It's just a matter of everything working out perfectly. All right. Well, I mean, we're getting near the end of this and dude, it was a fantastic podcast though. We love Cool. having joe on man everything everything so much information it's hard to dial all that in but uh before we get up me before me and uh, dan start wrapping up how about we wrap you up with your social media plugs youtube igs patreons whatever you got let the viewers know where they can find you so i i'm i'm pretty simple i i like social media but i'm you know i'm on instagram you, you can find me at 609.fishing uh I'm ashamed to say I have a TikTok. I don't know how much longer I want to keep running that because uh, it kind of makes you lose faith in humanity when you see some of the stuff that people post on there. But yeah. on the flip side, when you do get on the right side of TikTok and see the fishing posts and like fishing videos, it is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube, you can find me at 609 Fishing. Uh, I do have a Patreon if you're interested in, you know, more content. Um, every week I post a new video on there that's, you know, Patreon specific, and I try and spice it up and cover things that I'm not covering on the YouTube channel, or I go a little bit further in depth with certain species on the Patreon platform. And you could just find me under 609 fishing there as well. Sounds good. I'm hoping 2022, you're going to break out some videos with the boat. Let's take that boat out of retirement. Let's get uh, I'm afraid. In. I'm afraid it won't turn over, man. I haven't. <laughs> I'm. I'm serious. I. Well, I'm ashamed that I haven't used it, and it's well, a beautiful boat too, man. Like I. And my wife does, keeps. If it doesn't, if it doesn't turn over, call me. I'll come over and give you a hand. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. My wife keeps telling me, put it on Craigslist. And I'm like, I've had this boat since I was like, no lie. Bought this boat when I was 15 with all the money I saved up. I always tell kids every day. I didn't go to prom. My girlfriend broke up with me for this, but that money I was going to use on like a limo and a tuxedo and all the nonsense that goes into prom went into this boat. And I tell kids today, I like, I still have that boat from when I was, you know, 15 years old. And, you know, the girl I was dating is long gone. I said like, that was the best decision I ever made. Like buying this, you know, I bought a hole off of a guy who was selling, you know, his old logic. It was like a 16 foot, uh, you know, ropeline boat. I put a, you know, 40 Yamaha on the back and it's been, it's been money until I got the kayak. So you're saying kids, if you're listening out there, prom is overrated. You probably won't know that girl down the road, put mm -hmm. your money towards a fishing vessel. There you I, go. I'm telling you that, that is the best advice you could ever, I'm not saying let be like a, you know, a social shutout and <laughs> don't talk to anybody and only go fishing. Cause that's not who I was, but be smart. Like, uh, 600 $700 then you know goes a long way like you know I always tell them like too if you, I always we get kids all the time like they get upset oh, I didn't win prom king I didn't win prom queen I said that's okay man like not everybody you know I, I said the, the girl that won prom queen my senior year is in rehab so I said you never know like it <laughs> it, it could be a good thing you didn't win right Oh, man. All right. Well, once again, Joe, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast, man. We're, we're looking forward to more episodes. So is with you on it in the future. But we definitely love this chat with you today. Absolutely, hey, Joe. Man. Thank you so much for joining us. We got to do a, a panfish uh, a round off with you at some point where we all get together and just go nuts on some perch. I, I think that would be an absolute blast. I'm telling you, I'll be out there every weekend from now until, you know, spring lacrosse starts so if you guys are free let me know i'm i'm more than willing to i mean my weekend my, my weekends are freeing up and i'm getting ready to move the boat from up north back home down south so uh we might have to set something up for the weekend to do some uh white perching as long as it's above 60 degrees quasi in yeah as long as, I, as long as i can feel my fingers and my toes yeah i'm in i'm telling you you just gotta get some a pack of hot hands and you'll be good man Hot hands for the win. I I, I live. I, I got two or three packs in the car. They stay in the car this time of year. Yeah, I got Smart. I got I got a portable heater with a propane tank. I'm gonna put on the boat if I have to. I'm gonna sit there by <laughs> that thing. I'll tell you though, you, you, those new the new technology of like clothing, like Stormer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys use any of their gear. Yep. I'm like sweating. It's so it's like built so well in the middle it's, of the winter. Dude, it's so bad. I have heated battery powered socks. I have a heated jacket i have stormers of all sorts dude i was looking at this heated beanie hat the other day on amazon i was just like yo this is a game changer right here here's the best part so I, so i went trout fishing in the middle of winter because my buddy bobby loves trout fishing so i got my battery heated socks in my waders in like freezing cold water and it's uh, I'm like Bobby's like my buddy Bobby's like yo if that if your waders spring a leak and you get water in there you're dead <laughs> you got to get electroshocked by all those batteries in there <laughs> I was like it's fine my feet are warm okay <laughs> uh, I I had no idea that uh, it was this bad Joe that that this, he was this far down the road with the heated everything you got heated underwear Qua I've looked into it. <laughs>
on that note on that note well once again joe thank you man uh me and dan's gonna stay (laughs) me and dan's gonna stay on a few extra minutes and uh do and then wrap everything up but once again it was a pleasure having you on brother we're definitely gonna get out and fish this season hey thank you guys for having me good luck this season thanks joe you were a blast to have on man and we really appreciate all the killer info you gave us no problem guys thanks again yep you got it have a good night you too Oh man, he brought it with that white perch info. You you were not wrong. He is the white perch king down there. He's got it figured out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he it's something I want to get into. You know what I mean? Like white perch is just some fun fishing for when you have nothing and it's like the winter doldrum. Of course, I just you know pretty much called myself out and all the the warm stuff because I don't like cold hey, fishing. There's a, lot, there's a lot of people like that. It's not a big deal. I listen. I lost a lot of weight in the last year and I freaking hate it myself. Like mm-hmm. I'm getting out. I'm like, why am I cold? Like I, I I'm bundling up now and it's like, okay, I'm no. 75 pounds lighter than I was. That makes sense. I don't yeah, have definitely. the insulation I had. Yeah, definitely not. But uh, yeah, Joe brought it, you know what I mean? If you guys have nothing to do during winter time, time to break out those little trout rods and start hunting some white perch guys. Absolutely. And, and honestly, Joe is excellent. He's very, very great communicating. You can send him a message. He'll always answer. He'll always give you the best possible answer that he can, given, you know, the information he has available to him. He's not going to give up his honey holes. He's not going to give up the places where the fish stage, but he really did come and give us a lot of great information to help us get a little bit more successful on these trips. So this will be one of those episodes you bookmark and you refer back to on certain things like the, uh, the fish staging up in the Creek mouth. That's a huge thing. You know, mm-hmm. he was just, he was just bouncing along. I mean, we, we know that fish, you know, stage up in Creek mouth certain times of the year. It's just, we didn't know that perch would do that at this no. time. So that, that was literally my takeaway this episode that mm-hmm. the fact that the white perch stage at the mouth of these feeder creeks, the same way striper stage at feeder creeks yeah. waiting for baits to get flushed out. And, I mean, I knew they were in the same family, but I didn't know their personalities were pretty much characters, characteristics were pretty much the same as stripers. They stage sure. up on these creek mouth waiting for everything to get flushed out. That's, that was my takeaway. It, it blew my mind when he said that. And then, and then again, the, them, them holding the structure, you know, a lot of panfish, that's their, that's their mantra. They're going to hold close to structure whether it be crappy, yellow perch, things like that. So white perch, kind of a similar deal. Like you could find some, some, pronounced structure on the bottom or you know at these creek mouths and you might have some opportunities to catch some fish sounds good but once again man that was definitely a great episode absolutely killer we we like to switch it up you know we like to give you different kinds of content Mm -hmm. it's not always about like the the striped bass which we love or the sheep's head which we also love you know there's a lot of other fishing opportunities in this area and we're going to highlight every one of them that we can so definitely so if you guys get an opportunity make sure you guys check out joe on his youtube at 609 fishing um i mean you're you're not going to expect any fantastic b-rolls okay there's no b-rolls no click baits there's none of that you know it's just joe is just a hardcore fisherman that just loves to teach tactics and techniques and try to help you become a better fish you know it's that's what how we are though we, we respect a lot of fishermen you know guys like elias john skinner you know then you got you even old school see money right like they don't there's no game into that they get right into it fish catch fish tell you how they're doing it and don't burn spots yep. and that's it that's it that's that's those are the best videos you can possibly go for um yeah, besides that once again ladies and gentlemen if you guys didn't get an opportunity but make sure you guys follow us on facebook at our and also our instagram at tide underscore chasers and um check out your your local platforms leave us an awesome comment you know comments take us a very long way 
They do. They do. We, we really appreciate all the, the great feedback we get from everybody. I mean, we both get messages at daily about, you know, the, the content that we're providing, the great opportunity for other people to hop on. It's not just like your top level guys and then it goes away. You know, we're bringing people from all stages of this, this industry, whether it be a beginner or someone that's been doing it for all their life. Like Joe, I mean, he's literally been doing, he's been fishing his whole life. You can look back on his Instagram page and see he can back that up with pictures. I mean, he's holding stripers up when he's a little kid younger than my son. So, you know, he's he's the kind of guy that we we look for. You know, he, he aligns with our views and he's he's just a he's a wholesome, good person. And that's what we're looking for. Just good people. Sounds good. Uh, besides that, once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Um, we're going to call that a wrap. Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, guys. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.